Hi, I'm Morgan, co-chair of National Student Bride. You're listening to the Tea with NSP, the brand new and biggest queer student podcast in the UK. National Student Pride 2021 is just under three weeks away and we couldn't be more excited about what's in store. We're incredibly grateful to all our sponsors and partners who ensure that the event and this podcast can happen. This year, we're thrilled to welcome Creative Assembly to the NSP family, who have come on board as a silver sponsor. Creative Assembly are a British-based games developer responsible for the Total War franchise, Alien Isolation, Halo Wars and many more titles. If you have a passion for gaming, you'll be able to talk to them at our careers fair on the Friday of 23rd of April, as well as take part in a very special session they will be running. Registration for this year's event is now live, so go check out our website for the details of how to get involved. This week, we're joined by Drag Race's Vinegar Strokes. She talks to us about musicals, race within the LGBTQ community, starting in drag and working class communities. Listen in at the end of this episode to find out which queer Britain star is chatting with us next week. Keep. I'm out now. Enjoy the episode. Hi there and welcome to uh, the brand new Student Pride podcast called The Tea with NSP. My name's David and usually we would have uh, Reese or Morgan, but this week we've just got me because Boris Johnson's ruined everything. Um, and we also have the fantastic Vinegar Strokes. Welcome to the podcast, Vinegar. Hello, my love. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. But I guess the kind of first question I wanted to ask Vinegar was, I guess, well, I was going to say this time last year, but it's not, but maybe a year and a half ago when you were the one that was coming out with all these like new queens. Like what was, what was that week like where you got announced Vinegar Strokes is going to be on RuPaul Drag Race season one and everybody kind of lost their shit. Yeah. So, so just for context. So we, uh, we filmed our season back in March, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were announced in August or actually on my birthday, we were announced on the okay. 21st of August. If anyone wants to send me any presents, the 21st of August, um, I'll take anything that any crap that you don't want, I'll take it. Um, so yeah, um, so that was that was our kind of time. So it was a summer time, so it was nice mm-hmm. and hot, and it was just it, obviously we could all touch each other and hug people and that kind of stuff and have sex and whatnot, which is great. <laughs> and now we can't. Um, so yeah, so when when that actually happened, obviously between say the time you get eliminated to the time you're you're announced, you literally have to carry this massive burden of a secret on your shoulders, and bear in mind at the same time. I was still doing um, everybody's talking about Jamie so I was still on the West End doing that um, so I was like going back into work and being like oh my god I'm absolutely frazzled um, and I felt a bit down actually after after getting eliminated I was like I feel really down that I didn't get to do Snatch Game and do, mm-hmm. do all these things that I wanted to do after the show which I really liked um, so I, I had a quite a I don't know, I felt very down for about three months, it felt like. Um, mm. And then obviously when, when, when you start to do like all, all the other promo stuff to get ready for the show to be released, you kind of go, okay, cool, this is amazing. You know, you, I'm, I'm very lucky to have got onto the, got onto the first season. And, um, and yeah, when we got announced, it was just absolutely mental. I mean, even just from like, um, from look, looking at your, your, followers on Instagram or Twitter like on Instagram I started off on that Wednesday I started off like four four and a half thousand followers which is a nice amount for someone who's completely unknown or whatever and literally by the end of the day I'd shot up to like 60 60 odd thousand something like that so it was just mad to, to see that 
there was so much engagement from not just the UK, but the world. It's a very insane moment because you don't really, you are kind of legitimately being thrust into people's, into people's social media. And then they, they, they you're getting thrust again to people's homes by, via their, their laptops or their TVs and that kind of stuff. So it's just a very strange kind of time to go, oh, um, people know who I am. And not saying that, oh, I'm famous, but people know who you are and people have, uh, people are now hearing your name they're putting a face to your name um or the name to your face whatever and you know you do kind of realize okay in the next kind of six to eight weeks my life is going to completely change so I feel very lucky that I got on season one to do that obviously mm-hmm. season two is completely different because they, they've literally had they were filming they they take a break because of covid yeah. they've gone back and literally it's like filming the show and then, it, then, then they're being announced and the show's on so it's, it's like bang 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 whereas at least we had a nice bit of time to kind of relax and kind of mm-hmm. get used to the change and that because whereas season two they're just completely straight in there you say about like being about snatch game i what was i was going to say i was like really looking forward to your snatch game and like what is that like because i thought of you I'm sorry if I'm just like throwing salt in the wind here. If you, but like I thought of you as like one of the favourites going in, so I was like, oh, thank you, that's so sweet. So I was like, I'm like so excited for Vinegar there. And then, like, did you feel that when you left? Were you like, oh, fuck, or was it like I'm just happy to be there? Um, I know it's a mix of stuff because. I felt like, okay, I'm going in, because again, like, like I always say to people, when you go into something like Drag Race, even Bake Off or Sewing Bee or these, mm. or these kind of reality co- competition shows, you go in with the, with the amount of knowledge and skill set that you have at the time. So a lot of people say, oh, a lot of people see like what I'm wearing now or, or, how, or how, how my makeup is now, how my wigs are now. Why, why, why wasn't your makeup like that on the show? Why, why won't you show, why won't your clothes like that on the show? It's like, you can't, you can't create something that you're not, you're not there. Yet, do you know what I mean? I'm, I I wasn't at the where, where I was in vinegar right now at that time, but I went in with what I knew at the time. And what and actually, I thought what I went in with was was quite strong for the amount of time I've been doing it, the amount of times I've been actually been doing doing drag like professionally gigs and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I thought I went in quite strong with what I with what I knew. But obviously, with, with the competition being so so strong and whatnot, you know, everyone had their their strengths and, and the weaknesses. Mm. For me, I, I I never said that I was a makeup queen. Never said I was a fashion queen. I never intended to sell that. Mm. My 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 thing is entertainment straight straight up. So. I sing, I do comedy, I talk, I talk bollocks, um, and that and that's my thing, you know. And I think at the time I was like, you know, if, if I could change one thing, yeah, sure, I I would love love to have gone in with better clothes or or better better concepts of the themes of the, for the runway and that kind of stuff. But like I said, you can only go in with what you know of about yourself at the time. And you mm-hmm. and and actually, I think the best the best race, if I'm going to be really really cheesy, is actually afterwards when you mm-hmm. are starting to grow and improve what you're doing. Going back a wee bit. What were you like as a sixteen-year-old? Like, were you? Is that personality always been there, or has that been a bit of a? When, when I was sixteen, it was like two thousand. So you know, the the beginning of of the millennium. You know, and I um and I was definitely that sort of person who was definitely gay. I love you know. I was definitely like I loved me some boys. I loved the D. So I'm definitely <laughs> gay, but I definitely definitely was very afraid to to like kind of come out and like I don't I don't think I told like even like a close friend of mine until I was like 19. So I I, I think I came out quite late compared to what it is like now. Like you can come out at fucking, you know, 
11 years old I mean, was like, yeah great cool um you know so it's very very different times um so even though I was very confident in terms of going into like drama club and performing and doing bits and pieces like that like, like little shows and that kind of stuff I was still very kind of when, when it came to like um let, letting people in about you know me being gay or being just kind of being who, who I really am in that in that respect that like wholeheartedly um I very much put up a lot of barriers to like friends and family and that kind of stuff so, so 2000 would have been um section 28 like, is that something that you noticed at, like, growing up school that no one was talking about, like, gay I'll be honest, people? I'll be honest with you. I don't think I was really exposed to what Section 20 even was. I don't know what yeah. it is. I, don't, I feel like I, even though I was I was being quite naughty with, like, friends, other friends who are exploring their sexualities, that were kind of like, you know, let's let's have a sleepover. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I, I have some porn on VHS. I'll bring that around. Do you know what I mean? All that kind of, all that kind of stuff. So even though I was, I was exploring that side of myself kind of sexually, um, kind of being being an emotionally attached gay person and i say that in terms of being emotionally attached to to my sexuality in terms of you know wholeheartedly embracing being being a a gay a gay man a gay boy um i'd never i never went went there with that Mm -hmm. so when it came to stuff like um stuff on the kind of political side i knew nothing because i was like well Okay, sure, I'm gay, but I don't really want to know about anything else because I don't... Because, again, at that time, I was still very... Um, not afraid of it, but still very much, like, you know, disowning of it in terms of, like, I know this is it. I know this is probably where I'm going to be going, but I don't really want to... I don't really want to own it just yet because I don't mm-hmm. feel comfortable with it just yet. I was the exact same. I used to say this thing that I had cringed looking back on now of, uh, I'm gay, but I'm not one of those gays. <laughs> I feel like we are one of those gays. Yeah. <laughs> I was 100% one of those gays. But one of the things I used to say all the time was, um, I'm gay, but I'm not a poof. And it's that internalised, fucked up homophobia in my own head that I was like, this is how awful it is that I'm sort of putting a barrier between it. Yeah, but you know what? That's but I always think that's not always your fault, and I mean you mm-hmm. as in like you, or, yeah. or if there's someone listening to this going, "Oh, that's how I feel right now." I don't feel like that's that's necessarily your fault. It's it's because it's because of the the social conditioning, um, probably the way we've been brought up. I was brought up with with my mum saying things like, um, "Oh, oh, if if my son was gay, my my brother saying, don't don't be gay,' that kind of stuff." It's like. Okay, you you even though it's not their fault for for mm-hmm. saying stuff like that and me kind of taking it onto onto my own head, you you got to also understand that when when your environment is already nurtured by um, ne- negativity and homophobia, you're you're not necessarily responsible for for that. It's just that you've been brought up around that. So obviously your your brain's going to go, oh well, being gay is bad. And that's that's what I felt. I, I always thought being gay was bad. Um, because I didn't know any other gay people. I didn't know, know any other gay or, or lesbian um, people who could who are a bit older than me who could kind of show me the way. I only really got that when when I started going out clubbing and going out on the scene and stuff. When I was like when I was like fifteen, sixteen, um, and started meeting people who were a bit older. So how long did it take for you to get to that stage? So like you you said you were nineteen when you came out. Like what was? Yeah, I, I feel like I was like eight. It's all a blur now with with, 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 all, with all the. I've had it's just, <laughs> life was just blurred I feel like when I was 18 slash 19 I kind of came out to my my very close friends 
I didn't come out to my family until I was like 25. And that was because my mum asked me and I was like, oh my God, yes, I am. Uh, because I always said to myself, I'm never going to tell me mum. It's not it's, it's not her business. She doesn't need to know and that kind of stuff. Um, and it wasn't until she asked me. And parents always know, do you know what I mean? Um, parents always know. So yeah, um, that was like quite late. Felt like actually from 25 onwards, that's when I kind of felt, okay, I'm on, I'm on the path to really being really comfortable with myself. And again, that's quite late compared to a lot of kids out there who are, like I said, coming out much younger and being accepted much, much younger and kind of being able to kind of find, um, find their tribes and find their people and find their, find their thing that they're meant to do quite young. So almost like the polar opposite, but almost the exact same for me. So as I say, 14, 15, I came out to my mum. I wrote a letter. How tragic. And oh, no, I, that's cute. And um, so I wrote the letter and um, I she used to work night shift. So I left it and went to school. And so she got home and then fallen asleep and she woke up. And um, so I came out there. I was 15 when I came out to her. And then, but I don't think I was there for a long time. Like, the, she was accepting to a, a point, um, but like the acceptance was purely myself. And that, I don't think that probably came until I was about 23, 24 of like, actually, I'm, I'm not there. I'm there for the other people, but I'm not there myself. And I think that's not really unusual. I think, I think everyone who, who is, whether you're gay, straight, whatever you are, um, I think everyone has trouble accepting themselves until they're in their mid-20s, like yeah. regardless of sexuality or gender, whatever. Um, just just accepting that, that you might be, I don't know, a size, a size 18 as opposed to a size 12, accepting that, but this is actually quite sexy, actually. Do mm. you know what I mean? I think, I, I, you know, stop, stop, stop you know, accepting your ginger as over being blonde, whatever. I feel like, you know, a lot of people have, take them a long time just to accept who they are anyway. So, yeah, but I think when you when you layer it with being part of the community, it's interesting, you know, it's an interesting kind of, place to be because because on one hand it's it's amazing and it's and it's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous kind of community part of but then you know on the flip side of that there is there is the kind of the the darker edge to it where you know we where we can be quite quite brutal to each other um especially now because i didn't grow up in 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 the age of social media where you know where you literally lived on your phones whereas now young people who are who are coming out and find themselves they're literally exposed to everything on twitter and instagram and that kind of stuff and i don't know sometimes i feel like um they we put so much so much emphasis on the visual side of what a gay person of a gay man should look like um just say with like you know a rip a rip six pack and they're the best bottom they're the best top this and that they make it all about the visual make it all about sex and that kind of stuff. when actually it's not real like it's just it's just kind of that clickbait kind of thing where we're going to put this hot guy on here so you can click and look on that. But I do think sometimes you get someone who is quite young who might be impressionable thinking, oh, I'm a, I'm a 14-year-old gay boy and when, I, when I'm when i 20, I need to like this. And it, and that's not the way it should be. So. One of the questions I was going to ask actually is being a person of colour within this community as well, like... Mm. What was when you first started going into the scene? What was that like? Like, was was there any kind of challenges you thought were there that yeah. were quite unique? Well, I mean, I've always I've always known that it's hard to be gay and black. Always mm. always known that. Um, I think that's why it took me a little bit of while to kind of come out because just culturally, you know, where my family from, which is Jamaica, um, you know, there's a whole thing where if you're gay, you're probably going to get shot, or you're probably going to if you're a trans woman, you're probably going to get get shot tonight. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a very and that's a very real thing. Um, not saying that 
you know, being that I'm from North London and being like, okay, I'm going black, you know, that that's going to necessarily happen to me, but I still can feel the feel that struggle from from people of color who are queer, um, who might have those very very real and very genuine fears, you know. Um, and for me, my my biggest fear was kind of getting getting disowned, which is again another real thing. I've had plenty of friends when it actually happened to them. Now, the couple of friends that happened to, they're very much back backing with their families and that kind of stuff. But again, you know, but, but if we're talking say 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, these these boys were getting chucked chucked out of their houses, you know, and they and, and they were definitely definitely homeless for a little bit. And they were mm-hmm. definitely doing things to try and survive and whatnot. You know, it's not easy being um a, a person of colour and being gay as well. I think now that we're seeing a lot more again Again, it goes back to what we're seeing as well. I was lucky because I got to see that in London. But if I, but if I was from, say, you know, the uh, the mountains of Scotland, going, "Hi, I'm black and gay," which probably wouldn't happen in the mountains of Scotland, but yeah, um, <laughs> like, who's here? You, you you probably wouldn't see anybody. Do you know what I mean? So um, I think it's great now that we are seeing more um, more queer people of color on telly, on radio. Um, this is why I think dra- Drag Race is a great example of that because. Um, not only are we seeing um, black people or p- people of colour um, who are openly very gay or trans, um, we're also seeing them be stars as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that that's that's a big thing that I, I mean I never saw a lot of gay gay black people where I grew up um, on telly, and and if I did, they weren't necessarily seen to be. A star or a celebrity or be or, or or be kind of built up in that in that kind of way i think it's so important like just having not to kiss your ass a wee bit but like just have someone like yourself oh, go for it it's been a long time go for it <laughs> it's been a bad lockdown um <laughs> being growing up in glasgow i think this sounds like it's one of these like ancient stories but honestly true there was two people of color at our entire school um and that was it. Like I grew up with almost nobody there. Like, and then we yeah. see it on TV when you're like gay, and then when you look in like places like Soho, it's almost like whitewashed completely yeah. when you walk down the street, and every single person is white. And it wasn't until I watched that Reggie Yates documentary about being gay and being black, and mm. he went to the club, and everyone was like, "Don't, don't put me on camera." But it was like there was hundreds of people at this club that were all oh, yeah. people of color, and it's like, why is that not to the places that? I I get told about yeah. it. I mean, like, why is that not a more kind of inclusive environment? There is a kind of thing where actually, yeah, you know, if you go to certain clubs, the the, the clientele, the people who go there are very much white gay men. Especially if you go to like two brewers, just say like mm-hmm. like a, a Clapham gay is a real thing, you know. And I love the two brewers. I love I love going. I love, love performing there. But you know, sometimes you go to a certain place and you go, wow, this is not as diverse as it should be. And I don't know why that is. I don't know. It, it could be as simple as just the music isn't is is whack. Do you know what I mean? But um, <laughs> there is. I think there is a certain thing. I don't want to say it's a divide in the in the in the gay community and, and the LGBT community in terms of you know blacks colors here black blacks here and whites here. I don't think it's that. I just think it's it's the thing of the spaces that are being created so kind of, kind of cater to a certain demographic. Um, I went to heaven once. I remember, I someone walked up to me and said, "Love, you're not supposed to be here. You're fat." What? And they were like, "Fat people should not be here." Uh, so I used to, I used to be um, I, I basically got a gastric band about a year and a half ago, and I used to be about eighteen stone. 
and um, so I've lost a lot of weight. Um, but I used to be like we we short we short fat thing, and um, uh, I was never I was never happy with it. Do you know what I mean? It was never I, I hated it. Um, but I but it was because of these things. Like I'd walk into gay bars and I'd literally be told, "This is not a space for you. Leave." Um, I think that's disgusting that someone would come up to you. But again, the, and this is what, what I said before: the, the, the darker side of it is that mm-hmm. we're very, we're very, we're very quick to we're all saying, "Yeah, let's, let's love each other," and that comes up. But, but also, there's some people are very quick to um, to try and beat someone down. I always think if someone is like that, if there's a gay person who's like that, um, I just think you've you've clearly got your own issues going on. And the way that you deal with it is by getting drunk or getting high and taking out your own neuroses or your own issues on someone else because you can't handle what's going on in your own life. Actually, after that was why I helped out with Shouldn't Pride. But it's been meeting people, especially through Shouldn't Pride, and I'm like, oh, actually, no, there's a lot of gay people out there that are, are nice people and not keeping that distance away from it. Mm. Drama school. I just wanted to I, I completely get sidetracked. Um, what was that like? Like, because I went to university, so it was a bloody boring experience, and I never went to all my classes. But like, what was it like? Was it quite like a freeing environment going to drama school? Oh, I loved it. I loved it. So I was it's so funny because I got told by a couple of teachers, "Listen, Daniel, this is not going to work out. You know, you're just not you're not up for it. Um, you know, you you, you you're going to get fired from every." This is legit what I got told. You're going to get fired from every job you do. Um, you, you should find something else that makes you happy. Um, you're, a, <laughs> you're a mess. All this kind of stuff. I was like, thanks a lot. Now, I've always been... Now, I, got, I was very hurt by this. Very hurt. Yeah. Because, um, obviously, as a kid, I'm like, I don't know what else I'm good at. So, I feel like I'm good at performing and good at drama and good at acting, good at singing. So I'll just do this. This, this will be it. And obviously when, again, that's another thing in your twenties and being a Leo, very, very indecisive. Um, I'm like, I don't know what else I would do. So what I'm always good at doing is that even if I know that something's probably not going right, I stick with it for as long as I can until I'm like, Let's just, let's just call it a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very upset, very depressed. I was like, oh my God, like, what the hell am I going to do? Like, I'm, I'm awful. Like, I literally believe I'm, I'm, I'm an awful performer, awful actor. Um, but I said, no, I'm going to stick with this. It's a few more months to go. I'm just going to stick with it because I, I don't know what else to do and just see, see what happens. Funny enough, out of 30 people in my class, I'm maybe one of, one of five people who are working and who and who's and who's actually got a name now? The one who got told him to get fired. Who and who's never been fired from a job? The one who said he was going to get fired. Do you know what I mean? So um, even though I I had a I was great at the social side. I was great at the kind of um, side of being fun and social and doing like the um, extracurricular stuff. But I was really shit at doing the kind of like studying side of it. Yeah. But that's just me all over. Like I'd rather I'd rather like. You know, go 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 into something practically rather than um, a- academically. So, what did you do between that, uh, like finishing school to start in drama school? What what was that period? One, I was deciding what I was doing in my life. I was like, <laughs> I know what I'm doing. Again, Leo, very very decisive. And like I said before, late bloomer. Everything kind of comes to me a couple of years later. <laughs> so I was just kind of working. I was working TGI Fridays. I was doing my my, wait, my waitering jobs. I was very good at that as well. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of just like just kind of going out and have a good old time. I felt I felt like I just partied a lot when I between like 
well, 18 to thing and not really knowing what I was wanting to do. Uh, but obviously, on top of that, I was I was going to like youth theatres and performers. I was still performing and doing stuff, but um, I was just kind of just enjoying myself, really, and just kind of being like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do here in my life, so I'll just kind of just do this and um, uh, earn some money, go out, and just have a good old time, really. So sometimes that's like, like having that, little year out or a couple of years out to be like right what's that because i did law and i'm not a lawyer. oh god oh and wow I, and i did law because i did a drama class and i played a lawyer and i decided to be a lawyer oh that's hilarious no david you might have wanted to be a fucking actor son but you were definitely when go like, and audition for like law and order or, or like <laughs> or like Ali mcbill or something i would always wish i'd had that little bit of time longer because i'm a big politics geek so I went back and did a master's in politics afterwards but yeah I always think it's such a good thing for people to take a couple of years out yeah I mean the only thing I wish I did was that I travel I didn't, I didn't go anywhere mm. that's the thing like I felt like I felt like I'm saying I'm working all this all these hours and making all this money but I'm not doing anything with it mm. so yes yeah, so I wish I did that but I just think you know there's no rush to go to uni especially now when it's like um, mm. you know if, if I went if I was at uni now I'd be like cut the course i'm not doing it i'll i'll, I'll go and do hairdressing or, or like a trade because i feel mm-hmm. like how can you study do, being a doctor over zoom having that type like, i remember i used to have this um idea that everything had to be rushed we need to do it now like um i'm, yeah. I'm, really, I'm the guy at, like 23 was like why am i not doing my dream job and, yeah and I was right. like, but it took a, it took a long time to be like it's fine it's cool you can just like you don't yeah. it does need to be done Again, we've not actually spoke about vinegar stroke. Who's like, that? <laughs> when did that begin? And was drag always a thing that you thought of, liked, or did it just sort of like? So I've always been someone who's been into like um, in, in, improv theatre, devising. Mm-hmm. Like that, that was my kind of thing. But when it came to like making theatre, I loved doing like improv and. Um, devised work I really enjoyed because I thought that was the most creative side of me Mm. and it's funny because even though I never was looking for drag and actually rejected drag the first time uh, that it was even like said to me um, I was already doing like lots of characters they were all male characters but I was doing like lots of different random characters I used to do it from when I was a kid as well like just make up little shows and that kind of stuff so it was always something I always did Mm. so then cut to um, just finished drama school School. Um, I would, I've been out of I've done a few jobs from 2010 and I was kind of like doing the rounds and kind of you know trying to get jobs here and there doing auditions and whatnot do, doing a few tours as well and then I um, I started doing stand-up comedy as a boy because I was working at Harrods for a year and I legitimately was going to throw myself out of a window or something because I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is like retail is not the one. Can't do it. I hate everyone. Um, the person who I was working with, one of the girls, I was like, I like, never, never met anyone like her before in my life. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throttle you. Like you're fucking gross. Um, so I was like, okay. The reason why I'm so upset is because I'm not performing. I, I hadn't performed for about a year at that point. So I was like, this is the reason why you need to get get yourself back on the stage. So at that point, I got quite interested in watching comedians and that kind of stuff and something about me is that I always try and find if, if something's not working what ca- what else can you do kind mm-hmm. of thing so I started doing some stand-up um I was like I can I can do all that that's great easy, easy please I can do that um and I was quite good at it I thought well actually I'm, I'm, not, I'm not bad at this actually um so I was doing that for about 
six or seven months, you know, just doing the rounds and doing a few gigs here and there. Then I get offered, then I, a friend of mine, actually the brother of Veronica Green, who's on season two, um, he, he used to manage a bar in Farringdon, East London, and he, he goes to meet here. Um, we're doing a Halloween night. Would, um, would, would you come down and do... Um, and do like a set for us. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, it was like, but it's a witch theme. It's um, it's American Horror Story Coven. It's that, it's that theme. Can you come dress as a witch? I went, absolutely not. You're absolutely mental. At that time, Veronica Green had just started doing drag herself. She 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 just been in Singapore for about a year and a half, and she'd just been kind of dabbling in drag out in Singapore. So she came back home, and I was like. Kevin, which is her real name. Kevin, I need to, I need help. <laughs> he was like, all right, okay. Right, well, all right, I'll help you out. Don't worry. Then I did the performance and I went, oh, this is how I feel right now. And it's good. Every the comedy is working, the, the lip sync, I lip synced as well for the first time. I was like, this, this is quite fun as well. Um, everything I don't do it now. But like, yeah, it all kind of worked. I was like, okay, this feels like it could be something. So you did that, and then so was that quite consistent then? So from there, you were, we are you um, doing like jobs as a as a as a boy, and then the drag queen. As yeah, well. so 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 the drag only really was a was a thing to put on the side of my acting work. So I was so I was doing drag. I was doing some bar work and waitering work, um, promo work as well. Um, like giving that leaflets in the morning and and dragging up in the evening that that kind that kind of lifestyle and then um, as and when like auditions were coming for me as a boy I was doing that um, so drag was only something I was kind of doing on the side because because it was the one thing I was getting paid for so mm-hmm. I got so so essentially I was doing the same the same kind of stand up comedy set as a boy but not getting paid for it. I would do the same jokes in a wig and I'd get paid for it. So I'm like, oh, this actually makes a lot of sense then. Mm-hmm. I just kind of had that moment of, here we go, like we're doing it. And yeah, about five years later. So I was doing kind of on and off. Then it slowly kind of became something I was doing kind of kind of full time. And then Jamie happened. And even before Jamie, actually, I was getting a lot of acting jobs through drag as well, which was great because obviously I, I, I want to act. Um, and I'm not playing vinegar strokes i'm playing actual like drag characters that are written which is amazing no word of a lie i think jamie's one of my top two or three musicals isn't it a great musical it's great isn't it i adored it like there's like my mom's a single parent i got that whole like i know i'm no a a drag queen but i got that whole single parent scared of a kid leaving her type thing same as mine yeah I was just like I loved it um so much. So you 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 went in at the very very beginning when you you like when it when it came to London or no? So I didn't I didn't do the Sheffield production. Yeah, I joined when when it moved to London. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, funny enough, like I had no agent at the time. Cause I just I just left my my acting agent like two or three weeks before. And then another friend of mine, my friend Carly, who's an agent like, like a kids agent. Um, she'll randomly send me like a random brief. If it says black, she'll go like, "Here, read this." I'm like, "All right." So, um, so she sent me that, and I had already heard of the show um, from Sheffield because, because um, obviously, I, I like I like to keep up with the um, the theatre news. But I already heard of the show, but I never went to see it. I'm like, I'm not going to go to Sheffield. Can't be asked. Um, so, um, I'd heard of the show and said, "Oh, I know this show. I'm going to audition for it." Again, I had no agent, so. I, 
and it makes it quite difficult to audition for West End if you don't have an agent. So I literally badgered the casting, casting director like, like every day. Phone calls, emails. I remember I called up a, a number I got for him. Turns out I called his agent and was like, hi, is, what, was, what was his name? Dan? No, what his name was. Hi, is Dan there? Um, Will, what's his name? Is Will there? No, this is his agent. Oh, can you tell Will that I've emailed him? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I got got myself into the room, thank God, and then um, and then smashed it, then and, and just got it literally. And bear in mind, for West End, um, if you're auditioning for something on the West End, you're looking at about three, four, five, six, sometimes nine auditions just just to get told, sorry, no. Do you know mm. what I mean? So. Um, so the fact that I literally got the, the email from them the next day, I was on the train and I screamed. I went, fuck! And obviously, you can't scream on a train in London. People go, is it a bomb? Do you know what I mean? So, um, so I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to be on the West End. And no one cared. I was like, great, thank you. You know, it goes to show that that dream I had when I was a kid. And obviously, I remember I was told... Not going to work out for you, mate. You know, you're going to get fired from every job. It's not going to work out. And the fact that 10 years after drama school, I was able to, or however long it was, eight years, whatever, I was able to then get, get onto, onto a West End show because, because of drag, because I was like, all right, I'll try it. It's, it's incredible, you know? It's just, it's just funny how when you say yes to one thing, um, which you think would just be something you'll just do part-time or just on the side just to make some extra cash, actually turns into something that gives you every opportunity that you've kind of dreamed of. Um, what's your go-to show? Like, if you're going to go, right, I I want to go see a show, what are you going to go to? So if I can go and see a show once a week, twice a week, it would be Little Shop of Horrors. Oh. Um, it's my absolute favourite show. Um, I'm a big Sondheim whore, so I love Sun, Sunday in the Park with George. That's one of my favourites as well. Um, actually, that show was the one that made me go, I think I think I want to go to drama school. Uh, I saw that in 2006 and I went, oh my God, this is like the real deal. So yeah, I'd love to write a musical actually. That's like one thing I'd love to do. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a musician, but I can definitely pen down lyrics and pen down a story. So I don't know what, what, what I'd write about. Um, what what it would be but I would love to write a musical at some point but this is my musical this is my this is my baby so yeah I'm a bit of a basic bit so my favourite is Les Mis um I really okay yeah so I I just let it's it's my favourite I've always loved it um uh it's not my favourite song Uh, my favourite song is She Used To Be Mine from Waitress oh yeah I've got about seven different versions of it and my boyfriend is like Will you shut the fuck up with this song? Is like too much. I got, I got a chance to see Cerberus do it before, literally the week before COVID, before first lockdown. Mm-hmm. I got a chance to see Sarah, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's so good!" Like what I've never heard what what ba- what baking can do, like the way she does it. It's so so great. What's a role you would love to play in a musical? Like if you say right, dream role, what would it be? Oh my gosh! Okay. Let's go for a woman and, and a guy. So as a guy, um, 
Oh my God, what roles is that? I suppose like Seymour or mm-hmm. Seymour from a Little Shop, even even Audrey 2 would be a dream role. Like, Audrey 2 is like legit a dream role. But I feel like me playing Seymour, a black Seymour, I've never seen it. Um, that would be quite camp. So yeah, Seymour would be good. I love the songs as well. Um, as a woman, as a drunk woman, I would love to play, Joe, you know I'd love to play like M- Madame Morrible. In, um, mm-hmm. in Wicked, I think she's camp. Um, I'm gonna ask you something else. What's something a bit more, a bit more? Um, oh my God, Joe Harper play. Come from away, but Beverly Bass, <laughs> just a drag version of Beverly Bass. That's a good one. There is one question that I always ask in these. Um, can we talk about being a student? Blah blah blah. If you could go back to 18 year old Daniel, is there anything you would change? No, do you know what I wouldn't? I know it's cliche to say no, I wouldn't. But I feel like I. I was doing everything I needed to do at that age, like going to going to these youth theatres and doing these little Amdram shows and that kind of stuff, and kind of learning my learning my craft back then. Would that would I've come out earlier? No, actually, because you know I had, I had a good time, kind of with what I was doing and who I was doing. So um, no, I feel. I feel like I wouldn't change anything about being 18. I've honestly had the loveliest day and this has been fantastic. Anything you want to plug before we oh, go? Um, oh my God. Um, please support my, 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 my new band, Vinegar Strokes and the Morning Afters. You can catch us on Spotify. Just type us in. We've got three nice covers on there. We've got more songs coming next year and some shows. So give us some love, will you? It's not just me. I've got a whole band now to look after, to breastfeed. So please give us a little, a little, a little listen. Amazing. Thank you so much, Vinegar. Mwah. Bye, love. Still not quite sure how our wonderful editors managed to condense so much content into one episode. Jamie, Sean, you stars. Next week, David and Miles chat to the lovely Weird Calaf of Queer Britain. He talks about growing up in Ireland and the differences in culture, being more free when he goes to London, his documentary and the ultimate fears that come with that, and so, so many more things. We struggled to get this week in, honestly. If you'd like to hear more from us, don't forget to grab your tickets for our week-long festival starting April 19th, 2021, where you'll get to hear and see even more of our madness. Unfortunately, you've got more of me again next time, but for now, or until next week at least, I guess, I will say goodbye, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are, but enjoy the rest of your day, and listen in next week. Bye!